If you would please open up to Acts chapter 8. After going through 60 verses last Sunday, we'll go through 8 this morning. Uh, This chapter uh, proves to be a transition point in the study of this book, and even in Luke's writing, that we'll see that there's an intention. When Jesus, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said, you will, be, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So it's, it's almost like you can see a target, concentric circles spreading out. God's intention was that it would go farther beyond Jerusalem, and this, the beginning of this chapter tells us after the stoning of Stephen, there, with the persecution that came, there was, the the circle expanded with the gospel going forward. Let's look at the word of God, verses 1 through 8. And Saul approved of his execution, that's Stephen's execution, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Lord, I pray that the effect of the gospel in our own lives would have the result of joy so that those who we interact with would also benefit from that joy. God, would you please accomplish your mission for our church so there would be much joy in this city because of the impact that you desire for us to make. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been reminded, uh, as we've looked at the beginning of the persecution of the church with Peter and the apostles being brought to the Sanhedrin, uh, we've been reminded that God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. They're higher. They're different. If God would tell us what his plan was, we probably still wouldn't even believe him because we don't have his mind. We don't have his thoughts. But even, when, even though we don't fully see and understand how God advances his kingdom in and through us, we are confident of this. God is always on the move. He's always on the move. He's doing things that move gospel proclamation forward. 
And he does it in ways that reserve glory for himself. We can't take part in that glory. We're simply obedient and faithful. But God is on the move through our obedience and through our faithfulness. This chapter begins that shift from the day of Pentecost. Stephen's defense of the law and the temple showed that God wasn't limited to one location. He wasn't even limited to one revelation of himself. God is on the move, is what Stephen was saying. He's not limited to a location. And this chapter broadens the impact of the day of Pentecost when the Spirit indwelt. The the presence was no longer a place to visit in one spot. It went into the disciples and they left to go into the world. Now God's intention was always for the gospel to spread out from Jerusalem. And now that's being done, albeit through persecution. Persecution is what's driving everybody out of Jerusalem. And we've already already considered uh, several weeks ago when we looked at Acts chapter 3 and 4, we've already considered how God uses persecution really as a catalyst for witness, to, to move witness forward. But now that witness will spread across the world. God is expanding the witness of Christ. Now, our our big thought for today is this. God is on the move as his people are scattered throughout the world. Pretty simple. But when we think about it, God always wanted this to happen. I think just break down two, two ways that we can look at this passage in the paragraphs that are provided for us, the little section break that that the editors of the ESV, which we're using, uh, which I'm using, provided for us. In the first one, we see that God is moving amid spiritual opposition. There's a reality of opposition that happens in our lives as believers, and it's spiritual opposition. It's those moments when we just don't, things don't make sense quite right, and we just, relationally, things are not right in the home. And, and, and sometimes we just have to recognize, or maybe in the workplace, or things are just breaking around the house constantly. There are moments where we just recognize this is out of the ordinary. This, this, is, this might be spiritual opposition that we don't, we don't want to ask for to make sure that we're walking out. It's going to come. But we also don't want to be so fixated on it that we miss out and what God is doing, even amidst the spiritual opposition, he's doing something. We should understand the place of spiritual opposition in the life of the believer. I, I, I think of uh, Ephesians chapter 6 with the armor of God. There is a, remember, our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and powers and authority in heavenly places. Here we have Satan trying to squash Jesus out. On that day, a great persecution against the church arose in Jerusalem. That's, Satan is behind that. Satan himself is behind that. He's even using the misplaced passion of Saul slash Paul. But God was on the move behind that even. See, Satan cannot squash Jesus in us. He can't make the Holy Spirit get out of us. So his temptation, his tactic, is to try to get our affections to go toward other things, lesser things, less glorious than Jesus. So, in effect, to neutralize our witness. 
Satan's tactics are always the same, but God is on the move scattering his people so their witness would be throughout all the regions of the world. And when we see this, when this scattering happens, there's a scattering of of lights that go into the darkness. Now, I, I do think that we have to be reminded. Christians have to be reminded that we still need to scatter even though we congregate there's a scattering that happens. We, we congregate here, and we congregate in small groups. We congregate together around meals. That is good and vital and necessary and healthy because we love each other in deep ways. But from today, after this morning, we will go and scatter even into our region here. We just, God wants us scattered. Now, the problem is that we're usually scatterbrained more than we're scattered for the gospel. But we are here together, but we also are there together because we're lights in the midst of darkness. God is on the move. God was even on the move when he scattered his people into exile. <coughs> Remember when uh, finally, Nebuchadnezzar came, 586 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar comes and finally removes everybody, leaves a little remnant in Jerusalem, but removes everybody, destroys the temple, all the walls around Jerusalem. Everything is decimated. And God speaks to Jeremiah and says this, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. I have sent you into exile. Seek the welfare of that city. Don't just sit around waiting for the 70 years to be done to go back to where we can congregate and huddle. God is always intending to have us scattered so we are lights in the midst of darkness. He says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. This is why... Christians need to be involved in community aspects across the board. Politically, absolutely. But there, there are ways we can serve the community that we want to be there as lights. We need, we need, oh, we need Christians doing everything. We need Christian attorneys and doctors and we need Christian plumbers and engineers and everything. Because there's darkness all around and God wants us to be the light in that darkness. And that is an interesting thing that in verse 2 that Luke includes here in this passage. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Uh, that It's unique that he says devout men. Because that probably was not the disciples in that moment who maybe were watching, maybe they weren't watching, maybe they're afraid they were going to be gathered up with Stephen to be stoned. What's Luke saying? I think this is a correlation to what Joseph of Arimathea did to take Jesus' body. He asked for the body of Jesus and went and buried him before it was sundown. There was a moment where Joseph was a member of the ruling council, member of the Sanhedrin, but at some moment, he, and we're told that he and Nicodemus were secret disciples. They were devout men. That was a kind of a ruling class moniker that they would, oh, those are the devout men. 
Well, just like Joseph of Arimathea, he had to out himself when he asked for the body of Jesus. Yeah, I want the body of Jesus because I'm with him. Now, the cool thing about Joseph, Joseph takes him and buries him in his own tomb that he had for himself. And church history tells us that Joseph went all the way as far as Ireland to preach the gospel. He didn't need a tomb anymore. He was living for Jesus. And he knew where he'd go one day. Well, I think the same thing is happening here. The devout men, there was a moment they didn't want to be secret anymore. And so they go and they, they bury Stephen and make great lamentation over him. There comes a point when discipleship can't remain secret. Because the light gives courage to shine. The light that we have in us gives courage to, to shine amidst the, the people that we're around because God is on the move. And there's also there's something deeper happening even with the, the rest of the story that we know of Saul. And Luke changes the reference name. Saul is his Hebrew name. Paul is his Greek name because his ministry, we'll see, we'll see in a couple weeks, that his ministry shifts to the Greeks. He goes to the Gentiles. And so he was just known as Paul then. This is not, the, God didn't change his name to kind of signify this. He once was Saul, now he's Paul. Like this, like Jacob became Israel. That's not it. It just, Luke just started calling him Paul because everybody around him knew him as Paul. But what we know of his story is majestic and glorious. So, in a way, we can't overlook he was vicious before he was saved. He was ruthless. It looks like maybe this is indiscriminate aggression, like he's some madman, a madman going after everybody who calls themselves Christian. No, it's actually, it's, it's scarier than that because it was even more calculated than maybe we even realize. We learn in chapter 9 that he has orders from the high priest to do exactly what he was doing. But since we do know the end of the story, we know God is on the move even in Saul's life. And as hard as he was going against God, he couldn't overcome God's plan and God's mission for his life. So, church, we take heart in that as hard and as I appreciate Christian drawing out, that we, we just, in our affections, we just wander. But our wandering does not cut off, it does not short-circuit, it does not hamper God's plan and mission that we are to accomplish with our lives for him. And man, praise God, we can't mess it up. Even though the devil himself wants to convince us that we've messed it up, we're beyond usefulness. There's, no, there's nothing in us that can be used. We're inferior to the core. But we are able to say, like Paul, in my weakness, I'm strong. Because God shows up. God's on the move. Church, God is on the move in your life. He hasn't forgotten you. He's not too busy for you. He's on the move in your life. Now, you might be crying, Uncle, All right, I don't know how much more I can take, Lord. I'm really looking for what you're doing, but this is what's happening. He's still on the move, and we can trust that. See, as, as Satan himself can attempt to smother 
what God has in store, it just plays into God's plan. It plays into his overall desire to scatter his people so lights can shine in the midst of darkness. Now, in the second paragraph, we see that God is moving among scattered witnesses. I think the first thing that that strikes us is that these are amateur missionaries. That all the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. Now, I think they probably saw, we'll see in Acts 15, that there was a council that was brought back to that happened in Jerusalem to be able to figure out and address some, it was the beginning of addressing some doctrinal issues. But look, those who were scattered, that's a lot of people, went about preaching the word. Now, Luke introduces a, a, a word there that means preach the gospel. But they're preaching the gospel with their words and their lives. I'm sure people saw them loving one another. I'm sure they saw the joy that was in their relationship with God, and it it began to overflow. So these are amateur missionaries. That's all of us. We're all amateur missionaries. We don't have the certifications. We we just say, I'm willing. Lord, I'm, I'm willing. And that's what we see in Philip. Philip's a willing witness. While Philip, we learned in chapter 6, was a deacon full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Oh, oh, that we would all be characterized by that. Full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Uh, Philip was not an apostle. He's He's a deacon. He's a servant. And now what's happening with him is that as he's preaching... The signs that the apostles, that accompanied the apostles' preaching, are now accompanying his preaching. So they're seeing something. These uh, unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who healed them, and they were paralyzed. Uh, Those who were paralyzed and lame were healed. Philip is willing. God is the one that brings the confirmation to the preaching. But overall, Philip gives us an example of his willingness to be used for gospel proclamation. I think that, that has to be a challenge to us because we read later that you know, he's whisked away. And he sees, sees an Ethiopian eunuch on the road and shares the gospel with him. There's some mighty things being done and we can usually look at this and say, well, that's them. Who am I? But can I challenge all of us? uh, I'm speaking to myself more than anything. Can we live, can we be challenged to live with an expectation that God will show up? Because I think that begins to, we lose that edge. We lose the edge of, I'm ready. God, I'm looking. I'm anticipating. And usually routines and patterns of our lives kind of desensitize us spiritually. But, Can we be challenged to be like Philip and Stephen that are looking for an opportunity? We're expecting something. I'm anticipating God on the move. I'm anticipating what he's going to do with my witness. And then we see that he is, Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Now, Samaria has many cities. It's an area. But we have to remember what Samaria is. And I wonder, as the apostles heard 
Jesus say, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then all Judea and Samaria. I wonder if they kind of did a head turn. Samaria? Um, Remember, Apostle John says, Jews don't interact with Samarians. Jesus flipped that on its head with the woman at the well, showing them, no, 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 God's on the move all around. But this was a big deal for Philip to go to a people that they didn't want to interact with. And look, it's not just the Jews that didn't want to act with Samaria. Samarians didn't want to interact with the Jews either. They had their own temple. They had their own. Now, uh, quick history lesson. Uh, David and Solomon have the big area of Israel, one kingdom. Solomon is older age, has all these wives, goes after other gods, and there was a split in the kingdom. Jeroboam took the northern kingdom. He took uh, uh, most of the tribes of Israel in the southern kingdom all around Jerusalem, which became Judea. That was only the, uh, the kingdom of Judah and Benjamin stayed with David's line. So you had a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom got overrun by the Assyrians in 722 B.C., a couple hundred years, hundred-something years before finally Nebuchadnezzar comes to the southern kingdom. Uh, Sennacherib, the Assyrian, he brings everybody out and puts Assyrians in there. The Assyrians intermarry with the Jews who were left, and you have the Sumerians. That's, that's who they were. They were kind of half-breeds, half-Jewish. And the full Jewish didn't like that. The, but they, they started having their own way of doing things. They, started, they rejected all the prophets and just took the first five books of the Old Testament and said, we just wanna, we're just going to honor Moses. We're not going to worry about all the prophets and stuff. But they, too, were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for a Savior. And Philip does a bold step. He says, I'm going to go to them. Now, he, I'm sure he heard that Jesus had gone to them. So he was following in what Jesus said, just like Stephen did. So I'm, I'm going to go to them. But he finds that people are still looking for God. Now, we have to... I'll say this plainly. God is on the move in the people that we don't like. whether it's by political persuasion or ethnicity, whatever it is. God, whether it's just somebody that bugs you, God is on the move in the people that we don't like and we wish God wouldn't like. Can it remind us of Jonah? Jonah really wanted God's judgment on Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrians. God just... Oh, you know why he ran? You find this out in the last chapter of Jonah. You know why he ran the other direction? Because he knew God would forgive them. And he didn't want them to have God's forgiveness. Ooh, that sneaks in for us. There's people in our lives that we would like God to punish. And we, we don't want them to repent. Because we want them to be punished and condemned. But God was on the move. The Ninevites... God's on the move in the people that bug us and we don't like. And we have to be expecting in those categories, God, how am I to be a light right now? Maybe a light in the midst of darkness because they're unbelievers. Maybe a light of encouragement because they're believers and they're they're confused. 
God is on the move, and Jesus showed that as he cared for the woman at the well in Samaria. God was on the move in her heart too. And Philip followed that. He obeyed. He was faithful. And then we see that signs, these signs are accompanying the proclamation. And oh, how we would love that. Lord, please pour out your spirit on our gospel proclamation. That we would have an expectation to pray for people and they're healed. The, the, the people that we encounter that are emotionally distressed, that we would pray for them and something would happen. To anticipate that. Now, it doesn't mean that when those things happen, we set up tents and begin to invite everybody to come because we have this unique... But the church is to be a place of healing. So we experience that healing. So what we can anticipate is when there is gospel proclamation, the sign that's going to come that God will provide is this, healing. Whether that's emotional healing, physical healing, God, do it. We're ready. We're we're open. We're willing. But the most important thing is we want to live so people can see Jesus. That's what we do. We expect, we just, we, we pray for God to accompany the, the gospel proclamation of our lives. And, and may we ask God, would you accompany that with signs of healing? Ultimately, for the joy of the people that we're interacting with. So when we are sitting in traffic, which is all the time, may we venture to look and see people around us, maybe walking around. And I love the community events that we have in downtown Covington. But as we're looking at those, God, what would it look like for all of these people to experience your joy? What would that look like? Because that's what God sees. And we want to see like he sees. We want to see the, the multitudes as sheep without a shepherd as Jesus saw them. Because he's calling every one of us to be lights for them. So in the, the regular places, that, the places that you are regular in, your neighborhood, the grocery store that you frequent, the, the errands that you do, let's, let's ask the Lord, God, would you use me to infuse joy in the people? It first means that we need to have that joy. That we've, you know, George Mueller said, I... I Every morning he said, I want to make myself happy in God before I begin the day. May we have that same desire. God, I want to connect with you so other people can see it. Because this in church, God's mission is unstoppable. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But yet God in his unique glory and sovereignty and mercy calls us to participate with us, what he's doing. Let's be willing Because God is on the move in your life and around your life. Amen? God is on the move. Let's expect him to show up. Let's pray. Lord, we just, we want to be willing. We want to be anticipating what you're doing. Lord, help us... uh,
Help us have minds, uh, a vision to serve, to meet our community, to meet our neighbors, to meet our region with the glorious truth of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and how by our trust in him we are saved, because there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved except the name of Jesus. We trust you. I pray, Lord, that we, we would live lives that would invite others to come trust you as well. Be exalted in us. And we, we do anticipate. We expect something, Lord. We expect you to show up in unique ways in our lives that reserve glory for yourself. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, church, as we uh, live beyond just what we're doing this morning, uh, a couple reminders. We have our, our final Finding God's Peace uh, meeting this Wednesday night at my house. Uh, the, you know, the, the, our youth community, the 215 tribe, has been doing an, an Ephesians Bible study on Tuesday nights. It's been growing. Every week they've added some more students. And so we're really thankful for that. They went bowling on Friday night late over in Hammond, met up with another youth group from Tickfaw, and they had, I think, 28 total people. And if, if you've ever been in a youth group, that's revival. When you're like, wow, we have everybody here. This is awesome. But what we're seeing is our own students, um, people responding to invitations to come. And so we're excited about what God is doing, and please pray for our students as they uh, live in a world that's got, has billboards for everything that won't fulfill. Let's pray for them to have all their affections on the Lord. Uh, Also, men, the uh, next men's group, uh, the Pilgrim Journey, will uh, start next two weeks. Is this two? No, it's one week. Oh, wow, we're in September. I'm still thinking it's August. No, next Wednesday starts that. Uh, Wednesday nights, that will be at my house as well. Kerr will be leading that. Uh, There is a book that you need to get, so please sign up online. You can use the QR code that I'm sure is hovering over my head, uh, or it's everywhere else that you can find. So if you have any questions about that, you can see Kerr as well. Let us be reminded of our commission. When Jesus says to his disciples, Go therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. May God bless us.